It's my great privilege to introduce our keynote speaker this morning. Dr. Chris Nonakin is a faculty at Liberty University. In addition to that, he's a mission pastor at his own church and also, uh, more recently, the director of leadership development at Christar, which is a Sydney agency here in Dallas. Uh, he's married to Dorothy. They have two grown daughters. Uh, his wife teaches at Georgetown. And uh, Dr. Nonakin has uh, three doctorates because one just wasn't enough. Uh, but more than that, he's a missionary at heart. And I had the privilege of getting to spend uh, quite a bit of time with him this week. And you are uh, going to be very truly blessed to hear from him this morning. He has a heart for the Lord. He has a heart for the unreached. And uh, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning, Dr. G, as his students call him. So if you would, please welcome, join me in welcoming Dr. Chris Nonakin. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Pastor Lucas. Uh, good morning, church. Oh my goodness, this is a little more engaging than the previous service. <laughs> it's very good. You even laugh in church, which is exciting. Um, I was there and uh, I saw the prim and proper way in which people came and coming from India. Oh, by the way, I, I'm the real Indian. <laughs> Columbus came looking for me and found the other guys and called them Indians. <laughs> that is true, isn't it? That's history. And you still have Columbus Day, I don't know why. But anyway, uh, I am so thrilled uh, to be uh, here at Grace Bible. Let me say right off uh, the bat, two things that has gripped me already. Uh, first, the legacy of missions that we have had here, 65 years of faithful giving. Almost a fifth of everything you give goes expressively to missions. I think that is commendable on every ground, so thank you. Uh, the second thing I realized talking to uh, Pastor Andy, that I have been influenced by your church, believe it or not. When the missionaries were sent out of India, where I'm from, I was born, bred, and almost dead in India, but uh, when, I, when I was an electrician, and when the missionaries were sent out and the visas not renewed, uh, Jack Wurtson, who had a youth movement called Word of Life, a Bible Institute from New York, he said, uh, if I can't go, maybe we can bring some young people and put the fire of God in their heart, the word of God under their belt, and send them to reach their own people. I was the young man 35 years ago that Jack Wurtson brought, and so I'm indebted uh, to the Word of Life Bible Institute where I came. I'm not an in, uh, American. I still have my Indian passport because it gets me into uh, certain countries that the American passport wouldn't. But I'm so thankful. Um, my teacher, teachers at uh, cemetery, uh, sorry, seminary, um, <laughs> where people like John Walwood, Dr. Dwight Pentecost, my goodness, prophecy and Genesis. Dr. Riley was my first theology teacher. So I'm very indebted uh, to, to your church and didn't know that. I came a little early uh, because I just missed the storm. Uh, I live in D.C., so missed the, 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 the snowstorm. And I think our committee prayed me in. Uh, it was almost the last flight I came. I spoke at Dallas Theological Seminary, met with the faculty and staff. And I am so glad to be part uh, of our missions conference this morning. Um, the theme was given to me by all possible means. Now, I've uh, reflected on many levels at that and what it means, but in order to make it relevant to us and applicable, I tell you what, this last week I've been thinking a lot about what Paul said. So before we begin, 
Would you turn in your Bibles and uh, read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to begin from verse 19. Let me stress what Paul is trying to say here so you can get a little bit of the the drift that he has and the motive behind his message in this passage. Verse 19, Paul has already declared in verse 16, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So he's almost, that word woe is very condemning and powerful. It's almost a way in which you anathemize somebody. He says, that's what I deserve if I don't do what I'm doing. So he's got that out of the way. But here in verse 19, he says, Though I am free from all, I have made myself, literally doulos, a servant of all. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. For those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that's the Gentiles, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. And he's not talking about Jew or Gentile. He's talking about people who do, are not privileged at ma- in many levels. He says, I became weak. Why? That I might win the weak. I have become, here's the verse, all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He uses win and save synonymously to say, hey, this is what I'm all about. I do it all for the sake of the Euangelion, the gospel, that good news that I might share with them and in it, the blessing. Well, this uh, morning, I've got some PowerPoints here. I was telling the group, uh, I've gone to services where I've heard so many lectures that have uh, so many points, uh, but no power. Then I've heard some people preach very powerful sermons and they don't make any point. So to cover both bases, I've got PowerPoints for you this morning so you can follow as we read. Now let me uh, begin by giving us a little bit about the backdrop or the context in which Paul is presenting this to us. We're talking about cosmopolitan uh, Corinth, the Corinthians, my, the catastrophe and crisis that they were having in that church, particularly in relation to the credibility of the gospel of grace. It was was a messed up place. Now, Corinth was known uh, for the seaport, and it it thrived on trade. Uh, And like you would say in America, it was all about the, all about the church. Listen, if you answer quickly, we finish early. It's very (laughs) simple. It was all about the Bucks, it's all about the bucks. And so when you have money, and money becomes the way in which you do ministry, very quickly morality is at stake. So Corinth was known as the most corrupt place, immoral. Paul had to write three letters to these people who became Christians just to realign them, one we lost. But, you know, the whole understanding of bringing what it means, the gospel of grace to these people at Corinth, But apart from the immorality that characterized that wicked city, morally, it was a city known for diversity, uh, religious diversity. And we are living in a time when uh, the world has shrunk, and we're all wired together, as it were, technologically. 
And we're asking the question, what does it mean by all means? What does that mean for us today? So that's what we're looking at, the context in which Paul is writing. There are two specific issues in that reality that he inherited. Now, we'll have to transpose it to our realities, which is much more complex and sophisticated. I know that, but let's unpack that first. What had come to the fore were two issues that were poignant in his day. One had to do with meat or eating meat that was offered to idols. You're like, big deal, you know? Well, it was complicated then, and it's worse when you relate to it today. We were talking, we were talking about people who had become followers of Jesus Christ from these pagan gods who were idolatrous. That was very much part of their life. And now they began to follow Jesus. But then in that culture and custom, uh, religion was a sociological phenomenon. It wasn't something that you cut and paste and said, well, you're a Hindu Christianikin, now you're a Christian, you just don't do that. Well, there's social pressure. So should I go to the temple if my grandpa wanted me or not? Uh, you're a Muslim, well, you know, forget those people, you know, they're all terrorists, really? Well, we have this impression that we give people that now if you're Christian, forget your culture, erode all your ethnicity, now you're different. That's what happened. I grew up under the British Raj, and they literally cut and pasted me into this mission compound mentality. Instead of isolating me with the gospel, uh, sorry, insulating me from the, with the gospel, they isolated me from my own people. And that becomes a problem. But in this context, it's even more particular because these gods had demons behind them. These things were worship where they invoke spirits, evil spirits. I know that. I mean, many times you go to a temple and they say, well, what's the big deal? Pray. And they have a puja or whatever. They take the prasadam, which is a food offered to the, to the gods, and they bless it, and they put a little bindi there, or they give you a little vibhuti, and, you, and you're supposed to eat it. And you're like, okay, I just eat it in Jesus' name. Well, it was more than that. You're dealing with, with issues where people were acutely aware of evil powers at work unlike us in the Western world. Secondly, there was an issue that Paul was facing which had to do with these, uh, what I call pseudo-apostles. These guys were masquerading. They were charlatans. They were basically preaching for money. You know, it's all about the bucks, but for them, if you like it, you better put a ring on it stuff. It's like, pay me for that. Make a commitment. And they were, they were literally marketing this health and wealth and prosperity gospel. There was no cross in it. They were even denying the resurrection. So Paul is writing to this church that was pretty messed up. I think it's important to understand the theological undergirdings before we say, well, what does it mean when Paul said, I become all things to all people, that by all means I win some? What does it mean? Well, Paul does want to ex avoid the two extremes. And church, uh, it is so important for us to do the same today. Paul wanted to avoid the extreme that went back to the legalism of the Pharisees, and he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He had studied under Gamaliel, the, the double PhD in the University of Jerusalem. The guy was brilliant. He had Roman citizenship. He, was, he had vintage Greco-Roman culture of his day. And now what's he doing? He is just going to these, those who've never heard of Christ, and he's kind of being persecuted, beaten up, and shipwrecked, and all that stuff. And to add to that, they were questioning his apostleship. Who said you're an apostle? So Paul has a very clear 
understanding of what it means to be all things to all people. He wants to avoid the other extreme. One was this past legalism of the Pharisees. The other was perhaps even worse, this pagan licentiousness. Go do it. Go have a good time. Spoil yourself. It's okay. Come back and pray. Jesus died for it, so don't worry. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on. God forbid. You can't be doing this. Christ has separated us. You're dead unto yourself. He has already said, I've been crucified to Christ, to the legalists in Galatia, chapter 2, verse 20. And he's like, what does that imply for missions? So, having looked at the background, I want to give us three principles this morning that would help us as a church engage meaningfully to reach the lost at any cost while we can. And the time is ticking up. How do we reach them? The first principle is the principle of service. The principle of service. I like what Paul says here. He says, I make myself a slave, a doulos. Man. Now, the word he uses, if you haven't read the book Slave by MacArthur, it's very interesting. Uh, When you go into the biblical understanding of slave, it literally means somebody who doesn't have a will. Because your will is all eclipsed and and just amalgamated with God's will. So Paul literally didn't have a will like, let me see what I can do. I don't prefer this. I'm going to try the other thing. Paul says, for me, the main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing. It's the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about letting people know about Christ. What is that? How does that work out? Well, he talks about rights and responsibilities and rewards. So let me... Let me see that flow and see how he works this into his message. First of all, his rights. He said, I'm an apostle. By the way, an apostle, he says, has to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord Jesus. Capital A. I mean, there's a sense in which all of us are apostolic. We are sent. That's where we get the word uh, missionary from the Latin missio, from apostolo, which means sent. So that's an apostolic ministry, so to say. But not in the capital. We're not the apostles in the sense we've seen Jesus. Paul said, I have. But besides that, on the road to Damascus, I have a clear mandate. So he says, something is given. Uh, uh, Jesus, I got my commission. Jesus encountered me. Ananias came and very clearly underlined God has chosen you, Christ is commissioning you to take the gospel to Gentiles and to kings and to share about it. So, I mean, that's right out there. He didn't have any problem, no looking back. But here's an important thing that's happening here, and I want to I spend some time to clarify this whole thing about rights and responsibilities. Because we live in a culture where we are entitled. We think people owe us something. Why? Because we're educated, because we've earned our rights to do that, because we're Americans, because we uh, have a lot of money, because we uh, have this class. And we think people, the government owes us, the church owes us, the society owes us, our kids owe, owe us. Everybody owes us something. And Paul says, time out, nobody owes me anything. I owe everybody the gospel. That's a radical kind of thinking. Now, once you get that straight, then the other issues are not difficult to resolve. But let me clarify, what does he mean? I become all things to all people, lest by all means I win some. 
Contextualization is a buzzword sometimes. It simply means making the ancient word relevant and applicable to a constantly changing world. We live in what they call a postmodern world, which means there's loss of absolutes, there's relative morality, and there's situational ethics. If it feels good, do it. So how do you relate to people like that? I told the first service people, I mean, most of us don't have our grandkids in our churches today. You know why? Because they don't find church relevant. Let's face it. They are not linking to it because they're like, I don't sing like that. I don't act like that. I don't even speak like that. Now, that becomes a big issue to churches. What we wear, what we sing, who we sit with, what we eat, the cars we drive. And Paul says, listen, you haven't understood the gospel of grace. Because there is more to life in being a servant of Jesus Christ than doing all these things. He says, I not only become a slave, I am willing to give up certain privileges to make Christ known. This is powerful because... I tell my students this, it's so important to separate the core of the gospel, the essence of the gospel, from different expressions of it. So here it is, and it's on the board. Paul was firm on the gospel. That is non-negotiable. But he was focused on his mission, by all means, to win, to win, to win, to win. Did you hear that? Four times, to win, to win, to win. That was his goal. He was acutely focused on his goal. And by extension, he was flexible about its methods. No big deal. Whatever it takes, as we would say. Church, I want to pause here and ask you and me, what does it take for us to communicate the gospel to those who have never heard is this, this is more than an apostolic attitude for the Apostle Paul. This should be a missional mandate for every member at Grace. How can I be part of being a movement that can reach the lost, maybe the last, the least in our generation before Jesus comes back? A sense of urgency, a sense of personal obligation. And that's what Paul had. It's easy for have an annual conference when we have, you know, this guilt trip. We haven't done it. Let's give more. And we are still in our comfort zones. Is missions an ethos? Is it second nature? Is that what we do? I tell my students, we're living in a time where you don't go to church. You are the church wherever you go. We have to have a mentality that has bridged the so-called secular with the sacred in bringing the gospel by all means. We still haven't answered the question, what does by all means mean and look like and imply for us here at Grace? Well, let me begin by saying, contextualization or making the ancient word relevant to our modern world, forgive me, John Stott mentored me, so I always have this connection between then and now. But when you try to do that, you are becoming a bridge. And this is very important to understand. Christianity is not about building walls. It is about being a bridge between those who have the gospel and those who have not 
the gospel. There are many levels of haves and have-nots, and I'll give you some before we finish. But the, the primary understanding of becoming all things, whatever it takes, by all means possible, means that you and I as members of grace become bridges for God and the gospel of Christ. You say an amen or is that okay? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really concerned about that. What does that take? You know, there are places where I go and, and they say, oh, Dr. G, I'm glad you're doing it. I, you, I just came back from Bhutan. And most Americans can't go into Bhutan. And even if they go, they have to pay like $250 a day. And they give you a go. And if you try, if you try to proselytize or whatever, the Bhutanese is put in jail and then you're deported. So what do you do? They're like, oh, man, goodness, I'm glad what, you, I'm glad what you're doing. But are we an extension of what our missionaries are doing? I've had such a wonderful time yesterday and today, just mingling among them, listening to their heart. They are an extension of our church. They're on the front lines. We're at the front desk. There's a big difference. And people say, well, the people here across the street who never heard about Jesus apart from a swear word. Well, is that true or not? I think it's true. There are cities in the US where generations have never heard the gospel in their own, you know, at the level in which they live. I agree. But listen to this. There are people in this world who cannot even take the name of God in vain. You know why? Why? I mean, people here don't know the gospel, you know, apart from a swear word. But why is it that there are places where people cannot take the name of Jesus in vain? Because they have never heard it once. And one of the things that moved me some years ago, I was in the foothills of the Annapurna range and we went with my colleague Prakash and we're going to this village and we meet this group and I say to them, Aap Yesu ko malum hai. Uh, do, do, you, do you know Jesus Christ? And this guy says, Bai taro my firaiga, hold on, I'll be back. He brings this elderly man, he comes to me and it changed my life. He says to us, my sal I've been staying here for about 60 years. Us naam ko kohi nahi hai, dusre mein dekho. You know what he's saying? I've lived here for over 60 years. There's nobody by that name here. Check the next village. Church, that's not funny. With all our modern technology, transportation, social media, with all the resources we have, there are over 625 people groups today who've never once heard the gospel in their heart language. It's not a matter of have mercy and compassion and give them something. It's an issue of justice. Why should you and I sit on padded pews Sunday after Sunday and be given the gospel over when there were people in our generation who've never heard it once? That is the challenge of missions. Now we ask, what does all by all means look like? You've got to understand, Paul's passion for mission came from this ambition to make Christ known where he's not. There's a big difference. What is the difference? In one word, access. You say, what is access? Well, the people who don't know Christ apart from a swear word, could they know Christ if they wanted? Answer, Oh, come on. Answer? Yeah, all they need is flip the television and they have to surf over fan channels to avoid Christian stuff. Am I right? 
They drive to work. Right here, they cross 10 churches. There is a difference. That's why we need missionaries. That's why these are heroes that we're going to meet. They represent that burden by all means. The next is the principle of sacrifice that I want to leave with you. And this is so important, the understanding of sacrifice. We live in a generation where apart from this unhealthy dependency, we have this arrogant entitlement. We don't understand what sacrifice means. I was reading the other day of a Roman coin that was found. It was a coin that had a, a, a carving of a, an ox. And on one side was a plow, and on the other side was an altar. And inscribed at the bottom was the phrase, service or sacrifice. I couldn't get my eyes off that coin. That, that's it. No alternatives. Either service while I'm alive, or be that sacrifice. Paul has that in mind when he set aside all his preferences. Given the mandate that he had, he moved from, this is my right as an apostle, the way you treat me, you pay me. And by the way, he has legitimate reasons, both apologetically in terms of human reason, and based on the Levitical law, why they should pay him. He used the example of a farmer, of a priest, who's worthy of their wages, even of an ox. And he says, listen, I can claim this. But he says, you know what my reward is? I don't want your money. Because I don't want you to think that you own me. Or I'm doing this because you are paying me to do so. Christianity worldwide is losing credibility in countries like India and Nepal, where I'm from, because people think we are rice Christians. We follow this Western religion that pays us to do what we're doing. We are, gener we are developing a new kind of breed of missionaries. Missionaries who are not only bilingual, you can speak English better than us sometimes. They are not only bilingual, they are bicultural. They understand living in two different ways, lifestyles. And you know what else? They are bivocational. They don't need our money because they know what the dollar does. I mean, this is the reality today. Wake up, smell the coffee. How, what does that mean for us as the church in America? Paul says, I'm obligated. Yes, I'm a slave. You know why? Because he understood something about the gospel. And he says it best in Romans chapter 1, where he says, I am a debtor. I am obligated for this gospel. And by the way, he says, I am eager. I am ready. Whatever it takes. Because I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God unto, unto by all means, save some. For everyone who believes. Church, if you and I understand what the gospel is, then we will understand why we need to share it. Then nothing can stop us on how we communicate that. Do you understand this? This is so important. We got to take responsibility. Don't be like the guy who was interviewed the other day and someone asked him in this. He's not getting a job and they had a job interview and they said, are you a responsible person? He said, yes, sir. Last two companies, everything that went wrong, I was responsible. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that things are, people are irresponsible with the gospel. Do you know why the number one reason why missionaries leave the field? Other missionaries. 
We don't get along. This is shocking in my research to find out. We are part of this. Missionaries are out on a limb. They need accountability. They need encouragement. We're in it, and we must win it. Paul says, I'm a steward of the gospel. What does that mean? He says, I'm a steward. And every time he wrote to Timothy and Titus, he reminded them, Jesus Christ has counted you faithful in appointing you. Listen, it's not that I wanted to preach or I wanted to... He said, I was minding my business. In fact, I was against all this stuff. Jesus got a grip of me. He apprehended me is the word he uses. And now I have got a grip for what Jesus wants me to do. Church, this is so important to understand. The responsibilities. We are stewards not only to guard the gospel doctrinally, but to get it out missionally. And there are churches today who are fighting over versions, which is fine. When I first came to America 35 years ago, I could not believe when I went to Tennessee Temple to study, uh, they were fighting over a version. And I sat there as a young man and I said, people in my country don't even have the Bible in their language. Right now as I'm speaking, we have workers in Bhutan. They don't even have the Old Testament in the Donka language. Did you know that? They don't have the luxury to fight over versions. What is Paul saying? Listen, get the gospel out. The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. Think about it. You say, well, we are members only. That is a club, not a church. We must be missional. You say, well, Christian Anakin, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. That's not us. Listen, we haven't gone to the nation church. Are you ready? The nations have come to this country. The nations are in our neighborhood. What does that mean, by all means? You and I may not have to cross the seven seas, but you know what? We may have to cross the street to reach out to those who never heard of Jesus. What does it take? I was reading about the Hernhout revival, the Moravians. Have you heard of the Moravians? Don't read about it. It is scary. You know what they did? Listen to this. The Moravian missionaries found out to reach these people who have never heard the gospel, there's only one way. They had to become slaves. Because these ships that were going to these places were into slave trade. Are you ready for this? The Moravians sold themselves into slavery to get the gospel to those people. I've been to countries, including mine, where missionaries came and they brought their coffins with them. They came to die. Not for window shopping or short-term stuff. I'm, a, I'm not against I, I cheerlead for that. But I'm just, are we, have we lost that breed? We have a history, we have a legacy of missions. What is God saying to us? What does by all means mean in our culture, in our day? Next slide, Paul says, listen, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Yes, I have this responsibility, but here's the strategy. There is the principle of strategy. You say, what does the strategy mean? Well, given the circumstances around you, what is the most effective, efficient way to get the job done? That's called strategy. I tell my students, oh, Dr. G, I worked so long and hard and I didn't. I said, that's not your problem. Think about this. Who doesn't work hard and long? 
The problem is not that we are not working hard and long. The problem is we are not working right and smart. And Paul said there's a strategy. I do not want to build on another person's foundation. I will only go where Christ is not. I've got to get the job done. And I think this is so important. What does all mean mean? Paul says, you know what? The greatest thing for me is that I am participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? By me doing this, some people who were slated for judgment will now be in God's presence with me. And he says to them, listen, keep your money because I have dividends that are literally out of this world. What a perspective for missions. Would to God that we at Grace have that perspective that we are doing things with eternity in view. Things that money cannot give and money cannot take away because there's some things that money cannot buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. Come on, church. This is the plea. So finally, let me leave these thoughts with you. I think it's so important to contextualize it. And I must say very quickly that I um, am not an expert. I do not fully understand. I'm just raising the questions for us to think this morning. Let's start with Paul and then ask ourselves, what does becoming all things to all people and reaching or winning the loss by all means mean to us here in Dallas at Grace Bible Church? Well, Paul, first of all, he says maximum impact. He says, I want to win the Jews. I become a Jew. You're like, mm, you're already a Jew, Paul. He says, yeah, I know that. But as a Christian, I don't need to keep the Jewish ceremonial laws. Right? I don't have to. But you know what he does? Read Acts chapter 16 and verse 3. He circumcises Timothy. Ouch. You know why? Just to make sure he doesn't offend the Jews. You know what else he does? He goes to Jerusalem. People have all kinds of acts. He shaves himself and makes a vow. Why? Because that has nothing to do with the God. He says, listen, whatever it takes, if this is what it means, Timothy, let's do this together. You know why I'm a missionary? Because I was mentored, well, we didn't use the word mentored, but discipled by people who sacrificed everything to come to my country. Some things are better caught than taught. And Paul says, Timothy, you know what I'm talking about? Church at Corinth, get this. Where did Paul get this attitude? Have you thought about that? Where did he get this attitude? He wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he understood the way of Christ. And remember when he inserted that kenosis passage? It was a hymn that was circulating. He put it in Second Timothy, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. You remember that passage? Who, uh, you know, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal to God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a slave, being found in the likeness of man. And he, was, he died, he was crucified. Paul says, Jesus did that. How can I do less? This is radical stuff. And maybe once a year we need to hear this. I don't know. That's why these guys brought me here. I guess they're not going to invite me next year. But it doesn't matter. I think it's important for us to ask the question. How we answer it is left to you and me. What does it take? He wrote to the legalists in Galatians. He said, listen, Galatians 4.4, he, he became like us. 
in the fullness of time. He said, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us. That's the main thing, why Jesus came. Jesus said in Luke 22, I am among you as a servant. I think this is very important to answer that question, how you and I can become that. Not that he embraced Gentile immorality. Nobody said, listen, I don't have to go through these washing and cleansing, but men and women need to be equal in the church. He, and, he, and he mentioned that, that egalitarian community. He went and talked about him being privileged. He says, I don't care about my education. That's nothing. I counted dung, refuse, so that people will come to Christ. I am no elite just because I'm educated. He says, I want to be engaged in missions. My last slide to leave with you is this. What does that look like for me today? I don't know. By all means, are we a white Caucasian church, middle class? I go to churches and say, well, where are the other? Well, they have Spanish other services. They have the, we're going to have a big surprise in heaven. Trust me. Christianity today is a non-Western phenomenon. You're going to be surprised. It's dead in Europe. It's dying in America. But it's thriving in Africa and Asia and South America. Trust me. Let me ask you again, the cars we drive, you like this jacket? I mean, the, the, the coats we wear, the stay latest in fashion. Do my shoes match? I don't know. I mean, is that what it's about? How do I relate to those who are the have-nots, socially, racially? I even dare ask the question, how we relate to the LGBTQ, whatever. Are you willing to give up your political party if you're a Democrat to work with Republicans as long as you see people come to Christ? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I don't have the answers. You guys invited me. I'm asking the questions because for me, looking at Paul and I'm thinking, mm, what does that look for me, Chris Nyanakin? If I'm going to win the loss at any cost, what am I going to give up? What am I going to take up? What am I going to keep up? It is so easy for me to reach those who are near me and just like me. What about those who are not like me, who are near me? Then you can reach those who are not like you and not near you. You see what I'm saying? If not, just an air ticket is not going to solve the problem. Becoming all things to all people so that I win one. Tremendous ramifications of the gospel of grace. Church, this morning, I believe if God is speaking to us, let's take that first step. Missions is a movement. You and I as members can be part of this movement. Jesus said, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stop its advancement. Wouldn't you want to be part of that? You say, how? Very simply. Would you go? Several young people here. I tell my students, don't change your major. Tell me what your major is, I'll tell you how to be a missionary. We had Miss America, you'd run her up in our class. Well, they're going to not put me on the catwalk, but at least she's there. We got to go business as missions. Would you say, I'll go? Maybe some of us need to let go. We've got these possessions. 
We've got these relationships. We've got these materialistic, consumeristic, cultural mindset, and we've got to let go. God's spoken to you this morning. You say, I'll go. Maybe you need to let go. If not, number three, would you help them go? Can I and you be part of this movement? Can they represent us? And you say, Lord, whatever it takes, if I can't go, if I can't let go, I will help them go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way you have so much of mercy in our lives. And I pray for us as a church, would you continue to do your work of grace in our midst? Church, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me ask you, would you say, Chris, just pray for me this morning. God's spoken to me. I am willing to go. Wherever he sends me, I want to be part of a movement that will be a blessing to the nations. I am willing to go. Maybe you're saying, you know what, my age, my circumstance in life and whatever, I can't go, but uh, I need to let go of some things. I may have to cross the street. But God, by your grace, I'm going to do it. Maybe some of you are saying, you know what, I can't go, uh, I'll let go. But most of all, beginning now, God has spoken to me. I want to be part of helping people from our church go. If that is your commitment this morning, would you quietly lift your hand? And I want to pray for you. Wherever you are, just lift your hand. Keep it up. And I want to close in prayer. Yeah, all over. Just keep, keep it up for a minute. And let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm praying for all of us who are lifting empty hands around this auditorium. We're lifting empty hands because there's nothing we can bring to you. We just come and say, take us, use us for your glory. Would you do that at Grace Bible Church? Thank you so much for who you are and Jesus, what you've done for us. Help us to give our all for the one who gave himself. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory for Jesus' namesake. Amen.